right, yogis. Today we have the specialist of treats, which is we are going to be learning all about our focus this week, which is yana yoga from the dazzling, the spectacular. I don't even think I said a word there, but I said spectacular. <laughs> That's a normal word. Yeah, That's spectacular. <laughs> I think I was thinking of all the things I could describe you as, and it came out as <laughs> spectacular. So the spectacular, truly brilliant Jenna Baker, and we're going to talk all about, uh, yeah, this week's topic, which is yana yoga. So first, I would love, Jenna, for you to sh- just to share your journey to yoga. Oh, so yeah. let's just start with like you. Good. Let's talk about yeah. you, spectacular. Yeah. I now have to ask, is spectacular coming from the root of like spatula or like spackle? Because like, like are you special <laughs> and then like actualized and then like excellent and they all came together. Like was that a drag on the face? Do I know? No, it was just like how magnificent you are, I can really breathe in your space. Oh my god. Okay, well that kind of set up. I mean, here we are. Spectacular. So yeah, I mean my yoga journey has been, I think like most people, super long and varied. Um, I started taking yoga classes in college, um, mostly as a revenge tactic after a breakup, <laughs> like I think many folks start as. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up and put it down in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways for like 10 years. And then following another weird breakup, um, I got really, really dedicated in the sense that I set a bunch of goals for myself. I was like, I'm going to do 60 classes in 60 days. And then I just kept going. And then it ended up bringing me here because I was just basically stalking Kirby around (laughs) town. And then I started my first teacher training. So I took a 200 hour, which was amazing. And, um, you know, you should always, I recommend everyone should do one. Um, and then I just kept learning and practicing and, you know, now I'm teaching. And right now I have my 500 hour certification. I do a lot of like extra study. I've always kind of done a lot of um, yogic philosophy study, not as concentrated as I do now. I feel like I'm constantly in sadhana, um, growing my perceptions and like growing my perspectives. But yeah, it's been a like 15 years now at this point. It's weird to say out loud, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time. If you are um, listening, which I think like three people are listening, so like my mom and maybe Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. And maybe Pervy. Um, <laughs> hi, gang. Uh, but if you're out of that list of people, hello. And if you haven't taken Jenna's classes, she's absolutely brilliant. And one of the things that we hear feedback all the time about you is just your incredible knowledge. And so I find it no uh, surprise that the universe has conspired for us to make this podcast today yes. and talk about knowledge yes. yoga yes. or the yoga of knowledge. So this week's focus is yana yoga. And I would love for you to just talk about what that is and then give the context around what that yeah. is. So to start off, like I think we in the West have a really clear idea of what yoga is. And like we see like one teeny tiny sliver of the reality of a an entire culture. Um the reality is like the yoga traditions that we study or engage with um are much much bigger than we ever see. We see a lot of physical posture, we see a little bit of Sanskrit, we see a little bit of philosophy in terms of like what we engage with, but that's like one tiny piece. And so I say that only because when we start to break yoga off into certain areas, like yana yoga, um, 
you're kind of starting to see behind the curtain of like, there's more to this. And so yana yoga is the yoga of wisdom. It's the path of knowledge attainment. And so if you're practicing as a yana yogi, you are studying and engaging with text with the help of a very learned guru. And you're taking, and I said this earlier, and it's not really accurate because it came before, but it's almost like the Socratic method to your engagement with yogic philosophy. So you're asking yourself, what is the nature of the self? What is the nature of the universe that I exist in? What's the nature of the things that guide my path and this experience? And what does it mean as part of a greater whole? That matters because there are also other types of yoga. So there is bhakti yoga, there is raja yoga, there are, um, there's karma yoga. So bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion. Karma yoga is the yoga of action. Raja yoga is kind of more like what Patanjali was doing, where it was like, I mean, raja is really like royal yoga, but it's just kind of a delineation. And then yana yoga is the yoga of wisdom. And those are the four main groups, although everything but raja yoga kind of came first. And so, you need those different ways because I think South Asian philosophy was saying there are so many ways for you to get here. Find one that works for you. In some cases, you may have to acknowledge that you're going to need more than one. Even Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita shows the different ways that you can engage with the different types of yoga and just do the work. So if you're like a real nerd <laughs> and you like to read and you like to study and you're like, how can I ask more questions about this? Then maybe yana yoga is your path. Um, that's not to say that you may not love to chant. Like I love to chant. That's a very bhakti sort of tradition. Um, a lot of folks love karma yoga. They love the action. They love the tapas. They love the like intensity. That's real too. But the reality is it's all the part, it's all part of how you would get from point A to point B. And so, yeah, that's kind of the context. Like, you kind of, I think a modern yogi is switching between all of them. Like, I don't, I don't think I can sit here and say I'm a, you know, bhakti yogi exclusively. Yeah, it's, it's so funny that we're having this conversation. Is it though? Is it though? No. Is it though? It's not, universe. It's she listening. <laughs> um, but we are doing like the check-ins after our 30-day mm. yoga challenge. Yeah. And most people have asked like, how can I keep the consistency without having to come to mm. my physical mat? And the conversation has really been about like expand what you think, you know, air quotes yoga is because we've been given, as you just beautifully said, this one sliver, but being in divine awareness as you sing a song, you know, you know, hopefully something in Sanskrit and chanting an actual mantra, but singing anything that brings you closer to your union and yes. your divinity, you know, is a start yeah. of that process of that yoking. And so I think in the West, we tend to get super siloed into thinking, well, if I'm not on my mat and I'm not doing Chaturanga Dandasana, then I haven't done my yoga. And, I, you know, like I have this app where I track my habits and I've just realized like I do yoga all the fucking time. Like yes, <laughs> I'm basically, yeah. if I'm not doing yana yoga, I'm in a practice yes. of bhakti. Like, uh, when I wash my dishes, you know, Om Namah Shivaya. There we go. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for that gift. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I love hearing that because I think expanding our periphery of air quotes, what is yoga, to give ourselves permission that it doesn't always have to look like getting on your mat and also it can. Yeah. Um, is so beautiful. And so. what every path is teaching you somewhere in some way, it's giving you a doorway to say, this is the way I need now. 
Mm-hmm. Right. In this moment, I need to chant because it feels comfortable to have a mala go between my fingers or to feel the words or hear the sounds. That is what I need in this moment. Some days you really need to like do a million chaturangas and like top us it out. Mm-hmm. Other days you need to understand why am I having these experiences that I'm having? What do they mean? How have other people engaged with this practice in the future, in the past? And I think all of that is like, your way to say it's actually how you keep practice alive mm-hmm. like you have to be able to pivot when it's time when the seasons of your life say it's time to pivot like I don't do nearly as much right now hardcore vinyasa as I used to do not because it's not important and I make time because it's you know tapas and I do love me some tapas but like <laughs> it's the idea that right now mm-hmm. my practice is moving from gross to subtle. Mm-hmm. And so in that, I have to find different ways to engage with the same energies, the same processes that I used to be able to brute force into quite literally in inversions or like mm-hmm. in chaturanga or in whatever pose I was working on. Again, not that that's invalid. It's saying right now I need to chant a lot. I need to do long, long form svadhyaya and that's my practice. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, give yourself the grace of like, this practice has so many facets and just see where you are and say, this is the thing. As long as you're doing it earnestly. Now that's the caveat, right? Like we can't make it up. We can't like just fill in anything and always have like a qualified teacher. That's like the underlying rule for everything. Even Krishna's like, you can do whatever you want, but you better make sure it's in service to me. And like, there are parameters, like there's bumpers on this little like bowling alley experience of yoga. But I think that's how, especially when you talk about yana yoga, as you learn more, you're able to discern more. You're able to say, this is the thing I need and I'm going to do it right now and I'm going to do it with my whole self because Mm -hmm. I love it. That's the point. It's not how many times did you get on your mat this week although that can be great too if that's the metric you need yeah like but let yourself have a have options too yeah and I think it goes along hand in hand with our like obsessive product based or production based Mm. efficiency based culture where the only thing that's valid is physically moving your body or seeing you know fruits of your labor by being able to do a certain pose or say I did this 10 times Um, so I think when you give yourself permission to step out of that boundary, then there's so much more freedom in your practice. And like you said, to your season of life, like I love the physical practice, but I have two young children right now. It's just not in my season of life. Mm -hmm. And so it is in my season of life to be in a a devotional practice while I clean the dishes. Yes. I'm a householder. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. This is what we have to do. Or when I'm making dinner for my family to do it with deep love and devotion, you know, and have... A context around that from my teachers but yeah I think it just gives you so much more permission to not make it look so in the lines yeah um yeah and the point is too our practice should be evolving consciously so it's like and I mean it's not conscious like we love to talk about gains like we love to talk about <laughs> personal records and like we love to talk about like I nailed it that's amazing for sure but the, the growth in yoga is, again, you're moving from gross to subtle. And I mean, like, you're moving from physical to metaphysical. You're moving from intensity to stillness. Like, that progression. And, frankly, not always progression. Sometimes you go up and down. Right, right. right? Sometimes that cycle, down. that circle. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a process. So, like, um, it's 
allowed to shift, right? And it's allowed to look different and you're allowed to do different things and, but you should be moving to greater presence or stillness, however you want to define it. But that's, that's where you're going. That's like, my teacher says all the time, he's like, it's depth over time. And it is. And the way to keep depth, depth is in a lot of ways to change it up. Quite honestly. So can you talk a little bit about specifically the topic this week, yana yoga, and maybe some ways that we can engage in the practice of yana yoga? Yeah. So um, in yana yoga, so there are four parts to yana yoga. You have viveka, which is the ability to distinguish the self from the not self. We call this in my lineage discernment. That is the number one skill you can have as a human being and a yogi is the ability to discern. You also have viraja, which is the detachment from pain and pleasure. So you're relying less on the extremes of experience. You're starting to find sort of a middle ground. And then you have shampat, which is the um, stilling of the mind and emotions in six different ways. So that's calmness. Then you control the senses. Then you start to withdraw from worldly distractions. So like your cell phone, (laughs) like, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Then you have um, endurance, which is similar to tapas, but it's more intellectual. So it's the idea that you're, when things get hard, you stick with it mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, Then shraddha, which is the intense faith, where you're really devoted to the practice. The practice has now become you. So there's no line between the two. And then ultimately, like mental balance and concentration. So then once you get through that, which is like consciously, and you, again, because yana yoga is definitely the yoga of the mind, Um, Those are all very intellectual exercises. So like yana yoga culminates then in the last stage, which is mumukshutva, which is the yearning for moksha, like the deep, deep soul level yearning for moksha, which is liberation. I guess I should say that. The point of all of that is this is great and probably terrible both for people who are super intellectual. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of ways, we need to be challenged in ways that um, are different from our normal inclinations. So if you're very intellectual, then yana yoga will feel like home. But there will also come a point where like maybe yana yoga isn't best serving you. So in all things, the way to integrate any type of yoga is to find a good teacher, an ethical teacher who's done their study. And if that's not your direct teacher, then find find somewhere else to get that information. Um, we have a lot of really good folks here. I'm not saying you can't come here. You can totally come here um, every time. But like, know that teachers exist in a lot of different forms for mm-hmm. a lot of different people. Um, I hesitate to use the term guru, but that's what you're looking for. And so from there, a good teacher should be able to give you some like books, readings. Um, there's lots and lots of lectures and things on like YouTube and stuff. Like I've watched... Um, so many YouTube videos and done so many Udemy courses. Like there's so many different ways, especially for Yana yoga in modern society to sort of explore because we have so many resources like the ancients didn't have, like they had to go and like sit at the feet of their guru and like (laughs) chill. And then they'd recite a text to you and then you'd recite it back. And then you just kept reciting back and forth. Now we have the internet, so we can do a lot of things. But, I mean, what is important is, like, a good teacher will recognize in you, like, do you need more yana yoga? Or is it time for you to go do some selfless acts of service? Or is it time for you to, you know, chant in devotion? So, again, yana yoga can be great for people who are super intellectual. For me, 
although I am like I love this stuff I love philosophy I love the intellectuality of it I can see where sometimes this isn't my ultimate way to go does it make sense? Because you're just like, 100%. you're like, I'm, I, this is so home. Well, you you're, you're feeding your attachment. Yes. Yeah. And you're feeding what you know you're already good at, right? Yeah. In some cases. So it's like a good teacher will always say like, this is also what you should be doing. So the biggest thing is find a good teacher and go to good like classes that are like stuff like this, like how you can sort of engage with the concepts and experience them and learn in ways that are meaningful but also there's tons to learn. Like if you've never read um, like the Bhagavad Gita, like that's a really important text that like if you're engaging with yoga culture in any way, you should read. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a Patanjaliist, Patanjalian, whatever the term is, I guess. I'm sure I'm making it up. I'm not that, but I think in order to understand why Western yoga looks the way it does, like you should read the Yoga Sutras if you're, if you're engaging with those. Then if you get into a particular lineage, there's like so many things you can read in so many cases. But I mean, at a minimum, if you want to start the path of Yana Yoga, I would start with something like that. And there's lots of translations. You don't have to know Sanskrit. Like there's a really beautiful translation that's not like very scholarly, um, but the, of the Bhagavad Gita that I recommend to a lot of people by Stephen Mitchell. And it's the Bhagavad Gita in a poem form. Mm-hmm. And it's so accessible for people reading it for the first time. And then you can say, oh, this is amazing. And then go get something that's like got the whole breakdown and do the whole thing. But the point is, is like you have to engage with the material if you're going to be a Yana Yogi. Mm -hmm. Like you have to like consciously sit with it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also podcasts and things too that are really, really good. Yeah, I love, I love this. And, and the, the philosophy for me is my favorite. So I often find myself. I like what you said about, you know, be considerate or be conscious of like, if that is maybe something you're attached to and it's not, it's not actually letting you push to the edge because also part of this practice is us finding the, the perimeter of the boundary that we live within and then gently pushing against it and knowing when to fall back and all that. And I think sometimes I lay into my own um, strengths yes. and become complacent in my practice because I'm air quotes again studying when really I'm just not doing the thing that would actually push my awareness. Right. Um, and you know, as minimal as it is in 200 hour, we often tell people like teach the thing that they wouldn't do for themselves at home. Yes. You know, oh, cause that's, yeah. that is part of being a teacher is yes. like what you said is, and, and being a student, being willing to go to someone, be humbled to, okay, this is the thing I need to do that I wouldn't do on my own. And being a teacher, being um, educated enough and aware enough to say, like, I love you deeply and you need to... But this is you where, know, like, there are a lot of schools of thought that think yana yoga is actually the hardest of the paths. Because, like, what you're touching on is this idea of, like, you have to engage with everything. You have to read, I'm making air quotes that no one on a podcast can see, but you have to engage with everything and discern. Mm -hmm. Like in a lot of ways, bhakti, where you're saying, I am making this a devotional act. I would act in the ways that I'm taught to by the text gives you a much clearer boundary. Yana yoga is asking you, your job is to read and learn all of the things, to engage with all of the things and continually ask, who am I? Mm -hmm. And who am I in relationship to the absolute with Brahman? So like your job is much harder as a yogi in Yana yoga because you do have boundaries. Of course, there's a good, you have a good guru and you hopefully have like good text, but 
you have to cultivate your discernment consciously mm-hmm. because it's so easy to read like what a lot of my teachers call the near enemies of the truth. It's so easy to go down like the wrong path. And mm-hmm. I, you know, you see that in a lot of like the westernized like texts and things. So it's like, it's great if you're super intellectual, but you can also intellectualize yourself and have like circular arguments forever and never yes. actually get anywhere. Yeah. So like your discernment is like the number one thing on your list, which is hard. It's hard to like say, okay, this isn't actually the yoga for me. That's a hard thing for people to say, or like this isn't resonating with the self that I'm, I'm working towards. That's, those are big ideas. So you mentioned um, you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita and you mentioned for you know SMGs and just to know <laughs> Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras. But if you were to give three books that you Ooh. highly recommend for budding Yana yogis, yes, what would they be? Such a good idea. That's such a good one. Okay, so I'm, they're going to be really probably strange. So I would have you, one, I would have you read um, Cosmos or watch the series by Carl Sagan. The original one, straight up. Because I believe deeply, and if you come to any of my classes, I will straight up say this forever. I believe the facts of what like Carl Sagan and the way he has presented this is so tangential to the yogic view Mm -hmm. of the origins of the universe that if you are a Yana yogi in 2019, you already have some concerns about marrying hashtag science to yoga and I think you should engage with something like that so if not that there are other things of that sort of ilk I would do a lot of research into like astrophysics and I would look into that sort of stuff because I think that will make I think it will get your 2019 science brain out of the way enough to engage with the content as needed Mm. the second thing I would absolutely recommend some version of the Bhagavad Gita um and not just one I would read several translations and it's not like you have to go buy a million of them like I think we even have like two sitting upstairs like we have lots of different translations of that um I would consciously read it Mm -hmm. and even if you don't do the full translations with commentary I know like the Bhagavad Gita as it is is a big one for the like um the Krishna group the Ishkan group and like there's lots of different groups that'll tell you different ones are the best um I think you should just pick one up and read it. Um, we love Barbara Stoller Miller for our three hundred oh, hour. Yeah. I love her translations. Yeah, this one. Barbara Stoller. I mean, Miller. I'm reading one by Swami Kripananda, which is called Janeshwar's Gita. It's like a non-dualist take on it. I've been reading it forever, but I've been trying to get through it. There are so many there's copies. So of, many, there's so yeah. many versions. The point is, read one. Right. It's one of the most important texts because it spans so many things. And it gets you out of the Patanjali trap. Mm-hmm. Not that that's Patanjali's bad. It gets you beyond it. Well, just it, it expands your view of yoga. Absolutely. The second you read it, your view of yoga will expand. Absolutely. Every time. And then I, lastly, I would tell you to read some version of the Yoga Sutras. And I'm reading a really good one. I forget the name of it. I'm reading a really good one right now. But it's a very strict um, Vedanta teacher mm-hmm. version. And so the goal with this was not to deny the Yoga Sutras copies that we've done. Like Swami Satchitananda's is very, very popular. Um, So that one's good too. But this one is taking it so that I can understand the cultural implications Mm -hmm. specifically and the differences between Western takes on the Yoga Sutras and the more stringent Vedantin takes. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading that. And I, I think 
the only reason I include potentially on this is because I think if you want to be a sincere teacher, you need to have that in your belt because that's the nature of Western yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but those would be the things that at minimum I would have folks read. And then like, okay, sidebar two, like this is your, <laughs> this is extra credit for all my real Yana yogis. You need to be reading some feminist literature. You need to be reading some like, you know, decolonization literature. Like there's a whole bunch of like subgenre after you get the yogic materials yes. in that you have to engage with consciously in order that these practices can cultivate your true discernment. Because if you don't have those skills either, it's going to be, it, I think it's hard. I think it's really hard to be a, you know, people from the West engaging with yogic culture when you're not from that, if you don't have those baselines too. So those would be my extra credit is like, you need to be feminist literature, whatever that means to you and your decolonization material, whatever that looks like also as a baseline (laughs) just to get the work done. So you, and I mean, let's be real too. The Yana yogis are already making like 10 copies. They got like 10 books in the Amazon Uh cart. Like Uh they got like a whole list. They're like, no, I've already read that one. I'm going to add this. Like they're good. As you were, as you were uh, giving, sharing a little bit of Bhagavad Gita, I was like, well, I just finished this other copy and there's another one that I have on uh, like shipping to my house right now. I was like, man, I have, I have I think six different versions of the Gita and what's weird too is like I still always end up reading like online translations which actually are not terrible so if like money's a concern like look for the Bhagavad Gita their entire chapters of it just put up just read it like it even just to get the baseline I mean it doesn't have to be perfect but like it's out there yeah and the translation is it's so fun uh, fun nerd yeah I mean right it's so fun to read them though because translation in itself is an art yeah, you know, and yeah. and depending on where the person who is translating it is yes. from, and their whole context is going to feed entirely into how and that their lineage in. is the view that they're presenting to you, and yeah. so especially if you're a yana yogi, the view is what you're trying to cultivate, and so not that a lot of lineages don't have like the wisdom yoga piece; they absolutely do. A lot of lineages are very scholarly, but if you're say you don't have a formal guru and you're starting on the yana yoga path, like you have to, you have to like see a bunch of things and then see what actually resonates with you. Mm-hmm. So you will find yourself reading many, many copies of things, just because that's kind of how it turns out. Yeah. Um, but that's the fun for us book nerds. <laughs> All us book nerds. Well, Jenna, is there anything else you would like to share with people about the path of Yana Yoga or, yeah, anything? I think with all yoga, the whole point is depth over time. And the the yoga actually begins when you don't want to do it. (laughs) So, like, so that's basically a self-call out for all the books I have that are unfinished. Mm -hmm. That's on me. Like, I need, like, finish your books, do your work. That's that's when yoga occurs. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're super spectacular. (laughs) spectacular uh if you haven't come and practice with jenna definitely do i'm not gonna say uh times because that will date this podcast yeah you, you can't listen to it and you come to one of her classes and it's no longer there we've changed oh it God. or she has 14 other ones 
it's gonna get awkward. So, um, so just come look her up. She's absolutely brilliant. If you're looking for a teacher, uh, you know, there's one right there. And uh, thank you for listening, Mom and uh, Jimmy and Jimmy and Pervy and anyone else that has decided to listen. Thank you so much. Best wishes on your yoga journey and namaste. Namaste.